Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are in the third week of a series entitled Together. This relationship, uh, this uh, series is all about relationships and specifically relationships that we have with God and with each other. And uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Mountain View Fellowship is here to point people to Jesus by fostering relationships. And we, relation, uh, we foster relationships in three different directions, up with God, in with each other, and then out with a world that doesn't know Christ. And, and so specifically speaking, this whole series has been about uh, our relationship with God and relationship within the church, with, with other believers as well. And so we've been taking a look at this idea of up and in is the way that we refer to it, up with God, in with each other. And so uh, I want you to grab your Bibles, head over to Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Uh, that's going to be our first stop, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. And if you have not been here for the last couple of weeks, uh, you've kind of missed out on the foundation for this series. And so in a very, very brief way, I want to try to catch you up best I can. Uh, we found out in the very first week in this series that mankind is desperate for deep, intimate relationships. And uh, when I say intimate, I'm not talking about sexual intercourse. I'm talking about just deep friendships where you are known and you know others. They know every little secret, every little desire of your heart, and you know theirs. And, and for many of us, we found out that we don't have those types of relationships. We just don't. And uh, we've talked about several different reasons why, but uh, the, the cry of our heart is to be in that type of relationship. And the reason for that is because we were created that way. God designed us that way. In Genesis chapter 1, the first part of 26 says this, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And what we said from that is that since God is in community, and we really dwelled on this, uh, let us make human beings in our image be like us. We talked about that trinity. We, we said God is in perfect community within himself. And since he designed us to be like him, since God is in community uh, in and of himself, so are we. Like we need to be in community because that's the way God is de uh, designed us. And, and so we, we search for that. And when we don't have it, uh, there's, there's a loneliness that sits in. There's a cry that sits in our heart because we desire it so deeply. Um, he says, let us make human beings in our image and so that they might be like us. And it's this idea that God is three in one. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, uh, Jesus Christ, God the Father, God. And so we have this three in one, this, this community within God. And he designed us in his image. In verse 27, it, it spells it out this way. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them three times. Almost like, again, just reiterating this whole idea of a, a, a trinity. There's, there's community within God, and he's put his thumbprint on us. He's designed us for community. Uh, this is what we were created for. And what we said is if every one of us are created in the image of God, Imago Dei, we have God's thumbprint on us, then that should change every interaction that we have. 
It should. We should not see people the same way. We shouldn't respond to people the way that we normally do. We, we should look at them differently because they are created in the image of God. It should change everything about us. The way we talk to each other should change when we understand that, that they were made in, uh, made in God's image and we were made in God's image. It should change everything. And yet we understand from that first week that relationships are broken and they're under attack because we have an enemy that's working against them. Like he's doing everything he can to drive a wedge between you and God and you and the people around you, especially other believers. He doesn't like that. And so we have an active enemy that's working against that. And in that first week, we took a look at that and we, we said one of the biggest problems that we have in developing these deep relationships comes from our approach. Because we've bought into a worldly approach to our relationships as opposed to what we're taught in Scripture. In, in Scripture, we're taught that this should be a covenant. Like there, there's this idea behind our relationships that says, I'm not going anywhere. You and I are in relationship together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and no matter what happens, we're going to walk together through this. And, and we learn that if we do that, if we commit ourselves to that, and we enter into these, even these messy, sticky, awkward moments in these relationships, if we work through them, we come out the other side even deeper and better than when we went in. And that's a covenant relationship. But what we said in week one was that the problem is we view most of our relationships through a consumeristic lens. We approach it with this idea of what's in it for me. Uh, every relationship I have, does it add value to me or not? Does it bring me joy? And if not, then I'm not up for it. I'm out. I'm not going to stick around for it. And, and if you were wondering how can you decide whether your relationships are built on a covenant or whether they're built on a consumeristic standpoint, we said the line to ask yourself was as you, took, uh, as you approached every relationship that week, you should ask this question. Is it you adjust to me? Or is it we adjust to him talking about God? And you could find out real quick if that relationship is, you're approaching it from a consumeristic standpoint or from a covenant standpoint. And then last week, we launched into the idea of, of the way I presented it was, I thought it was the greatest obstacle that we have, that we have to overcome in order to be able to have deep, meaningful, intimate relationships with each other. And it was vulnerability. The problem is we're not vulnerable at all because it, it, to us, it means that we're weak. There's something wrong with us. And so, therefore, we, uh, instead of being vulnerable with each other, we project this, this image of strength. We, we, pre uh, we present this facade to everyone else around us, and, and it robs us because what we end up with is nothing but a whole bunch of shallow relationships. We got a hundred, we got a thousand Facebook friends, but we've got no one that really knows us. We, we don't have a single deep relationship and the thought thread that I shared with you last week, and we dove into it piece by piece, was this. We said that the lack of vulnerability leads to a facade, which leads to a fear of being found out, which leads to isolation. It was the struggle. It was that downward uh, slide. And we don't have a choice. And many of us, I think, found ourselves in that place because we have. We've set up this facade. Now we're afraid somebody's going to find out that we're not actually who we say we are. And so that forces us into isolation, which leads us to loneliness. And so many of us are lonely because we started off with not being vulnerable in our relationships. And the more, um, the more that we can't be vulnerable with each other, the more we isolate, the more we self-determine our loneliness. And what's sad about this, and I told you this last week, is the, the one thing that we need, the one thing that could actually take us out of this loneliness and bring us into a deep relationship is the one thing that we can't allow ourselves to do, and that's to be vulnerable with each other. Um, but I also showed you that there's a cycle 
If you're able to do this, if you can get vulnerable with the people around you, there's this amazing cycle that happens that leads to deeper relationships. And it's very simple. Uh, The depth of the relationship determines the depth of vulnerability. As you get to know somebody and you get more vulnerable with them, um, then the depth of vulnerability determines the depth of the the relationship. So you you get a little bit vulnerable with them. And then all of a sudden, the, the relationship gets a little bit deeper. And and the deeper the relationship gets, you get a little bit more vulnerable with them. And then it goes a little bit deeper. And it's an amazing cycle. If you just open yourself up, you'll find yourself in this place where you'll start to foster some very, very deep, meaningful, intimate relationships with other believers around you. And that was the challenge last week. And so today, I want to share with you what I believe is the second biggest obstacle that we face in forming these deep, deep relationships. And some of us, we're, we're going we're gonna to recognize that it's in our lives. We're not going to know where it came from. And I'm just going to tell you up front, I think many of us do this. And I think we've just been taught this. It's just kind of come out of our, our upbringing because we're in the Western world. We're Americans. But it's, it's this, um, this idea of in individualism. Individualism is keeping us from having these deep, deep relationships. We live in an age where the rights of the individual are ultimate. They reign supreme. And we've bought into this lie that we think that our freedom and our, and our happiness can only be found in our individual rights being met or our, our, our lives being fulfilled. And, and uh, the, the problem with this is I, I think it's new. Like, if you know your history, you go down through the, all the, the stages, uh, how, how we have uh, kind of... Uh, developed as a society, um, we have never ever once in all of history ever seen anything like this. This is something new for us because never has, has mankind ever thought this way. Because if you know your history, you go back, you realize that people had to lean into each other. They needed other people just to survive. They couldn't stand on their own. They had to have other people all around them in order just to, to survive, just to make it. And yet today, you can lock yourself in a condo and you can order from the grocery store and Amazon, everything. And trust me, I'm not saying that you're living a good life. I'm just saying you're surviving. But you can do it without other people today. And we've bought into this idea of individualism. And can I just be just straight up front with you? It's idolatry. I think it's the idol of our age. And we're bowing down to it. And and the problem with it is that it's gutting our ability to be able to have deep relationships. And it's killing our opportunity to flourish with each other. In every relationship, um, we have a choice. Do we we open ourselves up to the people and have a deep relationship? Or do we make it about ourselves? And when when you bought into this idea of individualism, you're making it about yourself. And when you enter into a relationship and you make it about what you can get out of it and if it's going to bring you joy or not, um, it actually sets up a battle with the people around you. Uh, Think about it in the context of marriage, right? If the husband thinks that he's the supreme leader of the home, and he's taking an individualistic standpoint. And the wife thinks that she is the supreme leader of the home, right? You have two supreme leaders in one house. Um, historically, that leads to wars. You realize that, right? Like that leads to, to massive war. And some of you right now, you got light bulbs going off like, oh my gosh, we just did that last night, Right? This is where our marriage is at. We're, we're fighting with each other because uh, I'm, I'm thinking about me and he, he's thinking about him or she's thinking about her and, and it's leading to this war that we're having within the house. And, and yet even in our, our relationships with our coworkers and, and even people within the church, 
If I approach that relationship going, what can I get out of this? Um, I want them to meet my needs. Um, it's all about the individual. Can I just promise you this? If you approach a relationship like that, your needs will not be met and the relationship will fail. I promise you that. And in that mindset, the mantra is, you adjust to me or I'm out. I'm done. I'm leaving. And remember that we're created. We're designed in the image of God. We're created for deep relationship. And and since God is in community, we are also. Um, And for decades, young people would leave the house and they would take off at the age of 18 or or 19 and they would go out. And the idea was, and the term that was used all the time was, I'm going to go find myself, right? And can I just tell you, that's the quickest way to get lost. If you go out on your own and try to figure it out. Why? Because you'll never know your true self in isolation. You won't. Uh, I've heard it said that we are the sum of all of our relationships. Specifically, the the top three or five around us. We become the sum of those relationships. Uh, We know ourselves best to the extent that we're known. Uh, We all have these unique characteristics. God's designed us um, very unique uh, with different special spiritual gifts and abilities and things. Yeah, I get that. There's some individual aspect to it. But the reality is our character is shaped within community. It's not shaped in isolation. And yet the world champions individualism, tells you that it's all about the individual. And unfortunately, it's creeped its way into the church as well. And as pastors and leaders of churches, I, I, I think it's our fault. We didn't mean to. We unknowingly did it. But we've kind of led to a little bit of that, that mindset. We've allowed it. Because we, we say things like this. Um, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Almost as though you, it's between you and God and nobody else. Like nobody else has, has anything to do with your spiritual development at all. And that's not, that's not true at all. Uh, one of the things that we do, communion, right? Many times we'll take it in private. And yet, do you realize communion has like community in it? It's meant to be uh, uh, done as a communal celebration. Uh, things like when we study the Word of God... We talk about your, your private Bible study. Are you getting into the word of God? And yet when you really understand the scriptures and, and you read the scriptures where they've actually opened up the scriptures, like they opened up the scroll, it was 99% of the time done in community where everybody was doing it together. They were studying the word of God together. And yet we're going to get off by ourselves and we're going to read these, these books. Which, by the way, many of those books were letters that were written to communities like churches, like us, and yet we're reading it by ourselves. Um, We've kind of taken this individualistic standpoint and moved it into the church as well. Now, I want to cut to the chase today because I I just want to get into it. I want us to acknowledge this today, and I want us to, to learn how to overcome this so that we can go deeper in our relationships. And I think that one of the ways that evangelism really, really cuts into the idea of our relationships and damages the, um, our ability to be able to have deep relationships is because it pits us against a couple of different people, right? Uh, I think, first of all, I'm going I'm to share with you how it kind of breaks our relationship with God. It, it divides us, but also with each other. So the first one I just want to show you is that when it comes to this individualistic mindset, it, it actually pits us against our up relationship or against God. Um, it, it causes problems between God and us. Because when we make our faith all about ourselves, we got a major problem. Um, as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we've been commissioned to proclaim a, a gospel message that is radically God-centered. 
It should be all about God. And the gospel itself challenges this idea of me with the I am, the creator, the one that sustains us. And yet, so often when we tell our testimony, we talk about our walk with Christ, it is me-centered. We've noticed this. We told you early on this year that this was going to be the year of the testimony, remember? And I said, we're going to train, we're going to equip everybody in here to be able to go out and be able to share your testimony with the people around you. And the way that we're doing that is we're going to help you discover what we're calling these intersections where God has intersected your life and and have you be able to, in 90 seconds or less, be able to share that with the people around you. This is the idea. But here's what we've learned. So often when we start to develop these, they are all me-centered, It's all about me. And yet we're supposed to be pointing people to who? Yeah, to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you as we go through this year, as you work on those 90-second testimonies, we're actually going to make them more Christ-centered than me-centered for this reason. Because we've got to be careful that we're not putting ourselves against God. Uh, The world says, if you really want to find yourself, you need to look inward but the gospel says, if you want to find yourself, you really need to look upward. And that's countercultural. That's, that's opposite of everything that we're being taught right now. And we want to resist that. We really do. Because the idea of looking upward means that there's a God standing outside of us and over us. And, and he might be able to exert some type of authority over our lives. Or you might be able to, to intervene and convict us on something that we're doing wrong. And we don't like that idea. And so we kick back against it. Uh, We don't want something on the outside being able to have authority over us or convict us of any wrongdoing. And so therefore, we have to kick back against that because our uh, individualistic mindset says, um, I am most important. If it makes me feel uncomfortable or or convicts me of something, then I'm just going to reject it instead. And when it comes to the Christian faith, we know what that is. It's the call to be obedient to Christ, to his word, to his law. And that is something on the outside, and we feel like if I bring that in, then how am I ever going to discover the real me, right? And yet, if you really want to know yourself, you need to, you need to learn more about your creator. You need to draw closer to God himself. And yet, that's opposite of what we're being taught in our society today. Uh, there was a group of sociologists that got together, and they wrote this book called Habits of the Heart. And they were looking specifically at this idea of individualism and as it relates to the Western world and specifically the United States. And and this was something they wrote in this book. I, I thought it was just fascinating, but this is what we're being taught. They said it this way. We believe in the dignity, indeed the sacredness of the individual. Everything that would violate our right to think for ourselves, judge for ourselves, make our own decisions, live our lives as we see fit is not only morally wrong, it is sacrilegious. Our highest and noblest aspirations, not only for ourselves, but for those we care about, for our society and for the world, all are closely linked to our individualism. You might not know it, but this is what you've been taught. You reign supreme. It's all about you. Your happiness and your fulfillment. And this has made its way into the church. Why? Because, well, we pick it up and we bring it in, right? It's the mindset that we, we come into church with. And, and what it does is it causes problems within the church, too. Because as you come in with that mindset, you begin to view church as, um, the church is an add-on to my life. God and faith is an add-on to my life. It's there only to help me find the real me. That's really what it's about. 
And faith no longer becomes this, this pursuit of truth or, or God himself. It becomes this therapeutic choice for help us, to help us uh, find happiness and, and to live our best life. That's really what this ends up being. Now, individualism, uh, I think individualistic mindset comes into play in it, and it really disrupts our, our relationship with God. It gets in the way because even though God may be present, I'm still the one on the throne. I'm the one making the decisions here. And some of you, like you're in church today, and that's where you sit. And you know it because you've not yet surrendered your life to Christ. You wouldn't be here if you thought, well, God really has to take control of my life? No, I think I can do this part-time. And I want to challenge you on that today and go, if, you, if you've not gotten to that place yet, um, God calls you to that. That's what he gave his life for. He wants to be on the throne of your life. He wants to be your savior. He doesn't just want to walk alongside of you. Now, um, not only does it pit us against God, but here's the interesting thing about individualism. It pits us against each other. And I'm talking about the in relationships, all of us within the church, believers, right? It pits us against each other. Because if you think about it, when we buy into individualism, it's all about me. And even when I stand in a circle of, of believers, it's still all about me. When I have that type of mindset, belonging to a church, uh, this, this idea of, of embracing a group of people doesn't make sense, Right? Because it's all about me. If it's a group of people that want to support me, then yes, I'm all for that. But why would I give to a group of people? Why would I, would I, why would I get involved and help elevate other people? That doesn't make any sense in an individualistic mindset. And Americans are the worst at it because we've been taught to really, really celebrate that lone person that stands out there by themselves and, and maybe even takes on the corporation and the institutions, right? The problem is the church is an institution. And in that mindset, you have to reject the church as well. Uh, young people, if, if finding yourself means that you have to go off, you have to throw off everything that your family has made you, you have to reject all the teachings that you've been given by the church up until this point, um, you know what that means? That means ultimately leaving the church becomes this rite of passage for you. Like you can't find yourself unless you leave all of that behind. And as I told you before, that's the quickest way to get lost. You're told to chart your own course to decide for yourself what is right. And if the church goes along with that and, and approves of all of that, then great. But if, if somewhere down the line the church doesn't approve and it challenges your behavior or your attitude or your life choices, then all of a sudden the, that individualistic mindset says, hey, wait a minute, nobody else has a right to tell me what to do. And so you can reject it and you can walk away from it altogether. Um, again, individualism doesn't empty the church. It fills it with a whole bunch of people that, that view their church attendance as a way of, of finding who they are, of expressing their identity, or, or being able to figure out how to bring more happiness and fulfillment to their life. The church, in that moment, has no authority in your life. God has no real authority. You get to decide how much he actually has say in your life and, and how much of your life actually is surrounded or or wrapped around the will of God. You're still on the throne. The mighty me is still sitting on the throne, even if the mighty me is sitting in church. That's the problem with individualism. And I think many of us have fallen into this trap. Uh, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Um, 
This radical individualism, I want you to know, is a full rejection. It's a denial of your true identity. Especially as a follower of Jesus Christ. Especially as a uh, part of the body of Christ, a church, a, a member here. Individualism rejects all of that. Um, so how do we overcome that? If we want deep, deep relationships, how do we overcome this individualistic mindset? Because for, for a lot of us, we've grown up our whole life being taught this. Um, well, I would just ask the question, what's the opposite of individualism? Uh, it's community. It's community. Remember, God created you in community for community. That was his design for your life. So in that, we should be pursuing community, not individualism. Not this individualism. We need to pursue relationships with other people. And, and true community actually requires several things from us. And I, and I just want to hit on two of them this morning. First one is, I think it requires love. And I, I don't just mean love. Hey, I love you. I don't mean that. I mean like real love. Like where you would lay yourself down for somebody else. That you would, you would put somebody else in front of, of you. Love that genuinely cares for other people. That's what true community is built around. First uh, John chapter 4, starting in 7, says this. Dear friends, let us con- continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, some of you, I have to acknowledge, are sitting here today and you've never heard that. And I want you to know before you leave here today that, that you were designed for relationship. Relationship for God, with God and relationship for other believers. And, and God created you that way. And yet sin entered into the picture and it broke that original relationship. But God had a plan. God sent his son who lived a perfect life and he died on the cross And three days later, he rose again from the grave. He he died so that you could have forgiveness of sins. And he rose again so that you might have eternal life with him. But it's greater than that. Like like today, uh, Scripture tells us that when we receive Christ, that he, he becomes our Lord and Savior, we commit our lives to him, that we begin to walk in the light. He shows us a better way to live. And so... He gives us a better way to live our lives now, but also into eternity. And that's available to each and every one of us. And the way that you begin this journey is you just go, God, I I admit, I'm broken, I'm messed up. And I I acknowledge that you sent your son to die for me, and I want a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I commit my life to you. And there's no set words or way of saying it. If, if you express that from the heart, it says in that moment, moment that you are God's child, you are saved, and you are part of his family. You're grafted in, you're adopted, and you can begin this journey with Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, you need to do that today. And if you're not sure how to do that, talk to whoever it is that invited you or come talk to one of the pastors. We would love to share that with you. But then you begin this deep relationship with God. You begin this deep relationship with other believers as well. And as this passage goes on, it explains how we are to love each other. It says this, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. 
And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. That's what we just talked about. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in him live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Do we love because it's just the right thing to do or because mama taught us how? Is that, is that why we do that? No. We love because he first loved us. Way before we ever acknowledged who he was, when we were still living in sin, he loved us and he sent his son to die for us. I love that, that line that says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. You know what that means? The deeper we get in those, these relationships and the more we practice this, the better we're gonna get at it. I love that. But yet, even in the church, I hear people talk about this, you know, and they, they make statements like this. Even in the church, they say, I love Jesus, I just hate people. You ever heard that? Um, do you know that's not new either? Like this passage was written 2,000 years ago. And, and look at what he writes here. He says this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? Oh, man. For if we don't love people, we can't see. How can we love a God? That was my bad. How can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Um, You're commanded to move into these deep relationships with God and with each other. Did you know that? Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. We gotta get this right. Uh, We've gotta throw off this individualism. And and you know what? Um, relationships can be difficult. They can. It's one of the issues that we've had with this, uh, uh, this whole COVID thing, right? Um, we found ourselves in a place where we were staying at home. We were watching. Um, we went online. We could watch our services from home while we're wearing our slippers and eating waffles. And it was awesome, right? And, and we got out of that. We years removed from it now. And if you're staying at home because, like, you, you have health issues or somebody in your family has that or you're on vacation or working. Or, I get that. That's what that's for. But for many people, they're choosing to stay at home and stay in the slippers and eat waffles even though um, they're able to come. And what they're doing now is they're using that as an excuse not to engage in relationship. And I want to encourage you. If that's you, man, you're missing out. You're missing out on the relationships that God has for you. And I get it. Trust me. Because if, as a pastor, if I could stay at home in my slippers and eat waffles and teach this message, I'd do it because y'all are messy, right? It would be easier just to stay out of the relationships altogether, but that's not what God has for us. He desires that we dive into this mess with each other and we help each other and we lift each other up and we do all the other each other's, right? There's tons of them in scripture and you can't do that from home. You can only do it in relationship. God has designed us for deep relationships. True community 
doesn't only require love, but it takes it a step further. True community also requires self-sacrifice. Oh, man. Didn't want to hear that, right? We reject that because sacrifice means that we have to put other people first. We have to follow that Philippians 4 thing, you know? Think of others as more important than ourselves. But Jesus, when he was actually talking about himself, he said this in Mark chapter 10. He said, for, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came not to serve, not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to sacrifice his life. And that's exactly what he did. And here we are sitting in this room and we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Do you know what followers means? means we emulate, we follow his example. Well, if his example was to serve and to give his life, what should we be doing? And yet for many of us, we take it to the nth degree, right? Uh, I mean, we read things like John chapter 15, and we say, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And we understand that, and that, that's true. And we make bold statements like Peter, you know, and we go, I would die for Christ, I would die for the cause. And yet we know that very rarely, especially in our society, is that ever called for. It's easy to make that statement, right? And I think Jesus would say, you know what? Um, I know you say you would die for me, but even more than that, I would ask that you live for me. And we're like, eh, that means I have to make everyday sacrifices. I don't know about that, but I'd die for you, right? I think this is where we really, really begin to understand what it means to walk, to, to live a life worthy of the calling, is when we have to sacrifice our lives daily for the people around us and get out of this individualistic mindset and make our life about other people, God and the people around us. Um, we need to learn what self-sacrifice means. And I, I want to end on a high note, so I'll say this. I, as I was thinking through this this week, I started realizing we have a church full of people, even though I'm being kind of harsh in this series, I'm really pushing you in this series, and I feel like I have to, we have a lot of people that are getting it right. We have a lot of people that are living this life worthy of the calling. We have a lot of people who are loving and making sacrifices. And let me just give you a couple of examples. I mean, I could go on for hours, but this is just a couple of them. Uh, we, we have um, a bunch of people that just gave up a Saturday to help a family move. Family they didn't even know, and they went and helped them move. We have a life group that's provided meals for somebody in their life group who just had surgery. They're just taking care of them. Um, we have a mother, Mothers of Preschoolers ministry. It's MOPS is what they call it. And this MOPS group, they, I, I saw them care for a young lady, a young mom, who her husband was deployed. And they just took care of her the whole time he was on deployment. Um, we actually had a family in this church that fell apart. Couldn't even keep their kids. I mean, that's how bad things got. And we had several families in this church that went to foster care training so that they could foster their kids until they figured things out. Uh, we, we had, uh, actually, this blew my mind too. We had a family in this church who um, became a surrogate for another family in the church that couldn't have a baby. Um, we, we have grandparents in here that are every day, every moment, are raising their grandkids as their own when they thought that they were past that stage. We, we've got men and their sons in here that have adopted widows within our community and they go over and do everything from shovel snow to change light bulbs for them. And like I said, I could go on for hours like this. 
But I just want to give you an idea. This, this is what it means to sacrifice, to, to foster deep relationships with each other. And so here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to get out of this individualistic mindset. And so the challenge I want you to take with you is to overcome individualism this week by looking for opportunities to sacrifice yourself in practical ways to love others. Just look for opportunities. Just pray, God, would you give me the opportunity this, this week, or today, just to sacrifice, just to, to, to love on somebody in a very, very practical way. And I think this is one of the first steps that we can take to get out of this individualistic mindset. May we realize our deepest need for godly relationships. And may we confess our idol of individualism and stop worshiping at this idol of self. I want to pray that God would allow us to go deep in our relationships, to foster these amazing intimate relationships and flourish in them. I want to pray for that. Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now in this moment. We ask that you would move in a mighty way in our hearts, that, that you would challenge us, Lord, to be uh, the people that, uh, as we said, followers, that we follow you, we emulate you in everything that we do. Challenge us this week, God, by opening up opportunities where we can actually sacrifice uh, resources, thought, uh, whatever it might be, time, to love on somebody in a very practical way. God, we just pray that... Um, not only would you give those opportunities to us, but you would open our eyes to them, that you would give us the strength to do it and the joy that, uh, that would be found as we serve in that way. God, and I pray that this would transform our relationships, that they would go deep, that they would be relationships that our hearts desire, that you've created us for, and that they would be a reflection of who you are to the world around us. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.